0: Are these the four most famous notes in classical music? There will always be discussions, but it would be hard to find any sequence of notes more familiar or more iconic in the history of Western music. Hello, I'm Marilyn Cooley, and welcome to this introduction to the next concert in the National Philharmonic's Bernstein Centennial Season, Bernstein and Beethoven Part 1. Bernstein's Symphony No. 2 for Piano and Orchestra, The Age of Anxiety, and Beethoven's Symphony No. 5. The essential line of the poem is the record of our difficult and problematical search for faith, said Leonard Bernstein of the 80-page poem The Age of Anxiety by Wiston Hugh Auden. That search was a major theme for Bernstein throughout his life, addressed in his music again and again. Both the poem and the symphony by Bernstein were created in the post-war social upheaval of the late 1940s. The phrase Age of Anxiety itself became symbolic of the times. Auden's poem won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry in 1948, and Bernstein's first reading of the poem, the previous summer, left him breathless. He wrote The composition of a symphony based on the age of anxiety acquired an almost compulsive quality. The poem follows four strangers, three men and a woman who meet in a New York City bar late one night, and their reflections on life and meaning as war and industrialization change the world around them. Rather than depicting each of the four characters, Bernstein chose to use the piano as a protagonist's voice in the piece. Structurally, Bernstein closely followed Auden's poem, which has six sections— And Bernstein musically follows the discussions and actions depicted in the poem. In the prologue, when the four meet, the stark loneliness of the setting is palpable. The second section is a set of variations called the Seven Ages. Our group is discussing the nature of life from cradle to grave. The piano protagonist has a significant function here as the music gradually becomes more agitated, then closes on a quiet note. Bernstein said of this section that each variation took an element of the previous one, then developed it to pass it on to the next. Following the seven ages are the seven stages, in which the four characters get drunker and go on a sort of dream odyssey. Bernstein created a second set of seven variations for this section, and again the piano has a very significant role. The next section is the dirge. The group has closed down the bar and are now in a taxi, heading for the woman's apartment for a nightcap. They discuss the nature of authority and mourn the loss of a fallen leader. The fifth section is called Mask. In the story, the quartet are in the woman's apartment and determined to have a party. This is the part of the symphony that is a lively, jazzy section. The group is determined to have some fun. But as Bernstein says, it's fake hilarity. In the final section, Epilogue, the characters disperse, and what is left, it turns out, is faith. Bernstein said of the finale, all at once the strings accept the situation, in a sudden radiant pianissimo, and begin to build, with the rest of the orchestra, to a positive statement of the newly recognized faith. Somebody once asked Bernstein if he thought it was important for listeners to read the poem before they listened to the symphony. At the time I wrote it, he said, I thought it was absolutely necessary. The poem and the symphony were mutually integral. That's why I stuck so literally to the form of the poem. But now I don't think so. The symphony has acquired a life of its own. Beethoven's Fifth Symphony is often thought of as the Fate Symphony. Beethoven starts the symphony with fate knocking at the door and ends with a triumphant banishment of fate. There's no universally accepted version, though, of exactly what Beethoven thought of every theme in the symphony, if he thought of them in terms of a story at all. One thing is for certain, though those four notes are repeated, developed, elaborated and transformed in ways that are typical of Beethoven's compositions. Not only that, but he brings the short 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 long motive back in the third movement as well. This sequence, which in Morse code stands for the letter V, is why this has sometimes been called Beethoven's Victory Symphony. Between these two resolute movements, the second movement is a calming breath of fresh air. Beethoven wrote his fifth and sixth symphonies simultaneously. And in the sixth, he gave the slow movement a title to explain the feelings he wanted to express, seen by the brook. In both these slow movements, there's a sense of repose, enhanced by the rhythm of the heartbeat with the time signature in three. Three. It's between the last two movements that Beethoven gives us the biggest surprise of the symphony. There's no pause between them. This is a trick that Haydn, the father of the symphony, never tried. Despite the long concert and the cold conditions at the premiere on December 22nd, 1808 in Vienna, it's a pretty safe bet that the audience was brought to attention by this innovation. Instead of the usual clean break and pause, Beethoven ends the third movement with a long, suspenseful crescendo to introduce the triumphant first chords of the last movement. I'm Marilyn Cooley, and thanks for joining me for this introduction to the National Philharmonic's concert, Bernstein and Beethoven, Part 1. You can find concert information at nationalphilharmonic.org. Enjoy the concert! ¶¶